lead up, but look on the ASA. My gosh, they're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of sphere. It's a worldwide phenomenon. This is David Marler, UFO researcher, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. That UFO Podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and we've got another breaking news slash update podcast. Dan, how are we doing today? I'm, uh, I'm great, thank you Andy. How are you? I am brilliant. It's a busy night for us because as we record this, we are doing the Reddit AMA in a couple of hours as well. So hopefully if Dan doesn't make too many pauses or you know wants to look stuff up and give me a reason <laughs> to edit, then we can get it out kind of straight away, no pressure. Um, but yeah, the AMA should be on Reddit and the High Strangeness Forum. I've tweeted out links on Twitter, on Facebook, and that's on Instagram as well. And it's 11pm UK on this is tuesday the 6th of july i've had to read the calendar there just to remember where we are so it's in an hour or two from when this gets released um which is 6 p.m eastern which i think is 3 p.m pacific time as well so um if you are free come on and join us we should be on there for a few hours like it says ama ask us anything that's that's aua that's not ama ask us anything it's ask me anything with us okay so that's that's the scottish um, one as yet ask us anything that actually it's a scottish one yeah but listen uh again it's been a busy week we've done one of these last week where we got to cover quite a few topics and it's great to hear there's a lot of people that struggle to keep up with the news a lot's happening and it's good that this is how they get their their fill and the updates and we've got a few things to touch on here the what we'll do is we'll leave the the main one which is the the new stephen greer documentary slash hit piece slash rebuttal slash meshing of his other stuff put together um till till the final part um a couple of things to touch on first um dan what do you want to kick off with the travis walton stuff or the australian ufo documents let's let's go with the travis walton because i think that that's kind of the the hot topic today isn't it um a lot of people thinking that the whole story is uh is a hoax is it no i mean <laughs> okay, and we'll move on <laughs> <laughs> the, the this happened a little while back and basically travis and uh one of the guys fell out over money to do with the movie deal i um, think his name's mike rogers for anyone that's who's been right. looking yeah yeah mike rogers um you you mentioned that it's since been solved is that right well yeah so on the initial post that was sent out it was like a just an article 
um, between the the guy interviewing him, who was on a phone call, who pulled over, I believe, to then record the phone conversation that was happening. Um, he had several. It was it was kind of it's not a slight on it, but poorly structured in the sense it had the original transcript of the call. You could play the link to YouTube that let you hear the call with the guy, but then underneath it had like PS PSS, and it had several updates since, and it did have another update to say that before that was recorded when this was recorded in april that they had sorted out the money issues but it was it was weird but it did have an update saying yeah they'd like you say it was the the crew boss from from the incident who wasn't aware travis had signed over new rights for a new movie deal you know so money gets complicates things as it normally does um he wasn't happy about this so basically it looks like he started perpetuating the whole travis walton incident was a hoax um, and then they sorted it out. He's no doubt getting money or a settlement now, and everything's fine again. And and the accusations were a little strange as well. That like they staged the whole thing, and that you know somehow they had something charge up electrically to zap Travis. And then you know it's just how how exactly did you guys stage that? Yeah, people should go and find the link. It's, it's just search Travis Walton on whatever search engine and, and obviously you'll find the news from today, especially if you're on Twitter, it's all over there being posted. But yeah, it's and it's funny talking about this from the other point of view that the idea of hoaxing an abduction sounds odd when usually it would be the other way around. But just like you say, the clarity behind it, the guy basically says, yeah, the we had an idea to stage a UFO hoax and that was it. It was like, oh, did you? There's not a whole lot of meat to what he says and it's almost like he's just trying to get out there really quickly and discredit the story and what happened and it's obviously really famous there has been movies made about it there's been tv series made about it it's been it's been copied and talked about and as as we're kind of finding out through this there's going to be updated versions of it as well and it's probably do you know what i could see why some people might think it's a time where those involved including especially travis maybe capitalizing on the refound popularity of the ufo topic which okay that's that's fair enough it's his story but i don't think that necessarily takes away from what appears to be a very credible abduction story if not the most credible yeah i'd, I'd agree with that you know travis uh had his story adapted in fire in the sky and it wasn't true to kind of his experience so i I, I've always hoped that they would do one that was less based around uh, the horror genre, horror genre and, you know, was a bit more thoughtful uh, because his, his experience was actually really interesting and a lot more interesting than just, you know, aliens took him and were terrifying. Um, you, you know, there, there was interaction. He threatened them. Um, as far as I'm aware, he's he's the person who is closest to his, to have stolen something from a ship you know he almost got away with the tray <laughs> that he threatened them with maybe he should have went back in time like in the tomorrow war or forward in time dan which uh, <laughs> what your, your thoughts on that's a totally different subject um we might get to talking about that at some point if you've not seen it i'd recommend watching tomorrow war on amazon prime which uh, deals with a lot of ufo themed stuff alien invasion but I, I thought it was quite interesting but um, it, it was okay. I'd say wait for your future self to come back and tell you whether they enjoyed it or not. 
yeah, that's 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 a movie review for another time. But we'll get to, we will get to that down the line. Listen, so yeah, f- from what it seems, it's a bit of a story about nothing. And there's been a few of these, I think, recently. And what I do like, though, especially with the social media side of things, it can give you a very quick answer, not to use the word debunk, but when something comes out, you can very quickly have it nailed down whether there's legs to it or not. And that included the Daily Mirror had the story the other day about the UFO that was taken. And it was, as reported in the Mirror, a triangular formation out at sea, lights in the sky, and very quickly, a lot of people commented it was just the moon behind some clouds because they then found the original photographs and the paper obviously had the, apparently had comments from the person who took the photograph saying that it was there for 10 seconds, it stayed still, then shot up into the sky. Now, the moon doesn't shoot up into the sky. It is in the sky. For those who don't know, it's in the sky already and just kind of moves across. It like does shoot up into the sky if you experience time at a faster rate. But <laughs> that's a whole that's, that's rabbit hole. true, yeah. So who was taking the picture? Yeah, who was smoking <laughs> the cigar? Um, so yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. So the that was there's been a lot of stuff, and like this, it seems to be a story about nothing. So it's came and gone, and best to just start off with that one. To be honest, moving on, Dan, the Australian UFO UAP documents leak. Not well, it's not a leak. It's just been published. Uh, John Greenwald today has also put on thousands of pages of documents online. You can find those at the Black Vault as per. But when this broke a few days ago, um, I saw it on Reddit, I saw it on Twitter. Um, people were saying this was a far more interesting version of the UAP task force report or what they hoped that could have been. And what you've seen, Dan, why have they been saying that? Well, the report goes into a lot of things. Basically, uh, people people have kind of taken it as, a, as an official Australian government document. Um, it turns out it was kind of made by a third party. Um, who was frustrated at the the process and was being very frank. Um, and that's apparent in the report where they talk about things like Blue Book um, basically being used by the US to kind of shut down the conversation, which we all, you know, suspect and think anyway. It kind of almost reads like a, a ufologist wet dream, you know, um, of, a, of a government report. Um, but Rolls, Ross Coltard, uh, he, he spoke about it um, in various like different interviews recently. And um, he has a book coming out that kind of, he said, elaborates on the story behind the document um, and the gentleman who wrote it. So I'm looking forward to hearing a bit more context about uh, why why Ross thinks those are, you, you know, real bombshell uh, documents. I'll be speaking to Ross. No date confirmed yet, but uh, I am speaking with Ross just now over messages and it should be the end of the month to promote the book in plain sight. But that'll be something we do discuss on there as well. Some of the stuff, though, that stood out for me, Dan, was there were descriptions of beings in there as being cat-like in their appearance. And do you know what? This is in the same week I've seen another case. I can't remember where it was online where they described beings as being mouse-like as well. And it's just, I don't know what it is, but, and there's no reason or rhyme to this at all, given the subject we're talking about, but, you know, whenever beings are described as not being grey, or even like the reptile stuff pushes it for me, but when they're not humanoid looking, which there's no reason they should be, it just, it starts to get me a little bit, mm, and when I hear cat-like and mouse-like, it just gets me a little bit off on, on the reporting, especially when there's no evidence to back it up i don't i don't know do you get what i mean yeah i totally understand what you mean and the the thing to understand about a lot of the reports in the documents is a lot of them come from the work of people like jacques valet 
um, who documents, you know, countless in- encounters um, and takes the testimony at face value and accepts it and kind of tries to work it into his theory of the phenomena. Um, so there are a lot of really wild stories in Valet's work. Um, and I guess cat people is just one of them, right? Yeah, and there's no reason any other beings couldn't look like a variable, an infinite number of of things. Have, or have not. you ever seen a giant flying bat? Like the or a, what what is it? A fox bat, I think it is. And I know the ones you mean. Yeah, you know they're almost child sized, really. And on a, on a dark night, I I would say that's a, a almost ratty looking humanoid <laughs> with wings. Yeah, potentially. And even then, when you hear like mouse, like you, you start just, you think of a mouse, don't you? Straight away. Um, but Mickey big mouse. black eyes, bulging eyes, maybe some of the features, elongated face, you know. So it could be any number of things in with that. So I, I get that. But um, you, you mentioned, we talked just before we recorded some of the cases as well. Again, like you say, it was a third third party report, which I don't think enough people have called out. So kudos to you for for doing that as well. It's just been taking it, I think, at face value, as normally happens online, that this has been issued by almost the Australian government when it, it wasn't. Um, and we're also going into more detail on that, obviously, when we speak to him as well. But- this is a good example of why I like to kind of not comment on stuff straight away, because oftentimes you know once you put something out onto the internet the internet responds and tells you it's wrong and why what is right and so on and so forth so it's worth um i think always seeing where the chips will fall and kind of you know now we know that there's, there's it'll be in ross's book um so i'm even more excited than i already was to read that yeah and i'll, I'll give you that as well because the amount of times i've said to you oh should we record on this and you're like ah let's wait till tomorrow and it's especially usually things happen late in the US and it's it's early afternoon, late afternoon, it's late for us and give it 12 hours to breathe and see what else comes out and you're not way behind on a story or missing parts out. So so yeah, with this one, um, some interesting cases involved in it. There is some interesting concepts. People expecting this to be the UAP task force report. This is That was never going to be that. And this isn't what this is either. This isn't the Australian UAP task force report. I think if that was the UAP task force report, I think I think we'd see panic buying of toilet paper and water and, you know, protests in the streets. Because a lot of that was scary. It's talking about, you know, beings and paralysis and, you, you know, even paralysis of animals in the vicinity of the person being abducted. It's it's a lot of really, really strange stuff. And this is for down the line. And, and pretty soon this was a suggestion from one of the Patreons uh, who wants to hear a day after disclosure podcast just a bit of a what if because we're, we're doing more what if podcasts soon and it was that you know so the day after we find out just just say it happened that way what would that be like and there's different ways I, I've, I've got in my head we're going to break that down but like you say if that uap task force report had come out and had content like that and um, funny we're going to get to talking about abductions soon and why they might be a hoax according to one dr stephen greer but that sort of stuff would have to come up in the conversation because if that came out in that report that we do have alien bodies, we do have alien craft, here's all the different things that can go on, here's what they can do, here's how we're totally helpless against them and maybe this is that, you know, people asking why Lou said he would be, people would be somber and heavy-hearted and really heady if they knew what he knew and this is just pure wild speculation so please no one quote me on this, not that you would quote me anywhere, but Maybe that's the sort of stuff that some of this is kept secret because of. 
Tom DeLong's hinted at it before as well. And that is the kind of stuff that you do have to drip, drip, drip out because if just, for example, abductions are a real phenomena as part of this, that question, as soon as it goes into the public, is massive and that sort of stuff would cause panic. Especially if we're talking about, you know, like in Valet's work where it becomes less an abduction in the physical sense and more an abduction in the consciousness sense. You know, time is frozen for everything around you and you're, you experience a passage of time and end up missing some time. Um, it, it gets really weird and I feel like some people would feel a bit violated by suddenly finding the walls of their house, uh, you know, transparent and uh, things can walk through them. Yeah, and that that's the, the notion recently that I was just talking about. I think it was on one of the pods, Dan, wasn't it? Where if it's a con- if it's a phenomena of consciousness, then an abduction experience, you could literally be in the same room with that person who's lying asleep and never see anything change, never see them move. For all intents and purposes, they are lying sleeping, but they have a full real abduction experience, but it doesn't happen in a physical sense. So that's yeah, we'll get we'll get into that in the what if stuff. So- I'll give you a little snippet of sleep paralysis here, or at least what I understood as that. Um, for for me, learning to control sleep paralysis when you kind of slip into it, um, it was always a case of looking around the room to kind of find something different. And the one thing that would always be different is, you know, if I'd, I'd gone to sleep next to somebody, that person would always not be there to kind of alert. Um, so, you, you know, my instinct was to get help and try and nudge the person I knew was next to me, but they were never there. The sleep paralysis stuff is really interesting. I've I don't know if I've had it before. Because I, I've told you I've I've always had lucid dreaming, right? So I my dreams can be very intense, very real. Like I can I can literally walk down the street knowing I'm sleeping and I will purposely like stamp my feet and I can feel the concrete. I will touch a wall, I can feel the wall. It's like sensory wise, it's all it's all there. It's really, really odd. And I don't get that necessarily same experience of of time and when I'm having a normal dream which are probably mixed where it goes really quick and there's no concept of it I, I can feel like I'm doing quite a lot in a dream which is which is weird and it's really hard and I think if people do a lucid dream then you'll appreciate hopefully what I'm talking about but I've had I've had dreams where I've had that sleep paralysis sensation where it'll be very real I wake up in my bedroom can't move I, I want to try and shout and it's usually my wife's name but I can't it's just it's, it almost feels like it's just stuck in my throat and I can't quite so I don't know if that's a dream or slash nightmare or if it's sleep paralysis or you get that feeling something else is in the room it's it's not nice but I would like to think it's a a bad dream but I don't, I don't know it's a kind of hard one to tell it is and it it's even harder to study it seems so it, it's something that everyone's kind of feeling their way in the dark on yeah and listen, um, we'll get into that. Like I say, we're going to do one of those, or a few more recordings of the what if, because they were really popular and a lot of people have reached out to ask when we're doing them again. And that was a really good one. I thought of, a, you know, what if we do get disclosure day one? What what will be the conversations? What will be the, the burning topics? So we'll get on that soon. So thank you for those suggestions. And if you do have any suggestions for a what if, ideally email them to me because I can save those in different folders to UFO, UAP, AM at gmail.com would be very useful. On to the main event here. Dan, uh, this isn't a full review or anything. We just want to talk about the new documentary that came out from Dr. Stephen Greer. Um, Cosmic Hopes, an expose, free on YouTube. 
it's i mean some have have said it's a said it's a paid advertisement do you know what let me just do this off the bat okay um i'm not a massive stephen greer fan and i've made that quite clear i think i've been consistent with that on the podcast i have reached out through different channels recently and today again to try and get dr greer on the podcast i would happily entertain a conversation with him because i've got a lot of questions i want to ask him not in the sense that and i'm not going to say i would hardball him or softball him i just think there's a conversation to be had there that i would be very interested to hear his take on a lot of perceptions and also things he does and some of that will come up within this as well i think you want to come in and say something there dan am i right just that like much as i appreciate the work that's been done i wonder like i'd love a completely honest conversation with him at this point but also i don't think you'd get it no and i don't expect to either and that that's through the channel i've reached out and i've I've mentioned that that i appreciate it and i'm based in the uk i'll be fully flexible with time but i think there's a conversation to be had there and it's not for likes or clicks or popularity it's i want to speak to stephen greer the reason i started this podcast like i said way back at the start was there's a lot of questions i don't feel get asked or people tiptoe around and that is someone that there are there are a lot of questions to be asked of and i would be interested in those responses but also the opportunity to follow up on what i expect some of those responses would be which i don't think i've got any issue doing i know i don't have an issue doing that so there's a lot to get through well i've got a lot of notes here and we'll see what comes up throughout it i put out on twitter patreon facebook and asked people's opinion of this it seemed to be overwhelmingly negative i didn't see a whole lot of of positivity around it and even the positivity seemed to be kind of tiptoeing around it Ah, benefit of the doubt you know all that kind of stuff so um listen it, it dropped dan initial thoughts then on cosmic hoax and expose can we put a picture of sick on the screen? <laughs> not not in an audio form, but yeah, <laughs> um, just imagine that one, folks. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's everything we've heard from Greer before. We we get another documentary where we get to see him uh, shed some tears and tell some stories about briefings that we've since heard were just awkward conversations at a dinner party table that no one engaged with. Um, and I have even kind of less time for it now than than I did before. And I don't think I fully got my point across before, but I wanted to mention that this isn't me going to tear this apart. I'm not going into this as a fan of his, but it's something I wanted to watch because of some of the content I heard was within it. Same reason I watched Unacknowledged and Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. And obviously, if you want to go back and listen, I interviewed uh, Stephen Greer's director, Michael Mazzola, and asked him a few questions about various different aspects of Dr. Greer's presentation and character as well. Um, I'd suggest people go back and check that one out from last year. Um, This just seems to be, it's free, okay, so he's not charging for it, which makes a change. Um, I I appreciate, though, the work and effort, regardless of the content that that goes into making it, because they do look slick. They are well-produced. However... So, so I get he can charge for things, okay, and there's there's no issue with that at all. Again, that that's up to him on this sort of material. He's given out free. It seems to be though a lot of it's meshing together things he's done in the past, and it's almost it feels like a rebuttal or a rebuttal, depending on where you're from, or a bit of a hit piece back against certain people. 
capitalizing on the fact the task force reports come out because he mentions at one point within this that obviously this was recorded a couple of months ago the task force reports due to come out and he it's basically a hit on Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, Jim Semivan, Tom DeLong. Maybe there's some merit there, depending on your, your stance. But at a lot of different people, Leslie Keane gets it in the neck, the New York Times, the whole mainstream press. Um, for someone who is dead against a narrative that's being used, he weaves his own narrative throughout this constantly. And I don't think that the irony is lost within that. Straight off the bat, I'm going to kick off with the first thing for me was uh, Carol Rawson. And she talks about the Werner von Braun deathbed confession, which was fascinating to listen to. But we have one person, Carol, who has a, 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 you know, the background she has. And that was it. It's just her testimony that Werner von Braun apparently told her on his deathbed all this weird and wonderful stuff. And we've just to believe that. Dan, can you come in on that and why I'm um, just like, okay. I mean, it's one of those kind of core stories, isn't it? That the government are going to fake an alien attack on on the populace and, you know, get one over on them to, to control them further. And that story goes all the back, way back to what you just mentioned. Um, people believe in things like that because of things like Project Paperclip and things like that turning out to be true um but there's very little kind of evidence to support it and it's kind of being regurgitated in various different forms over the years you know it's it's not just been the way Greer tells it 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 always comes with this you know threat i guess it's ironic to me that he's kind of saying oh yeah the government are paying them as a threat them being uap when the only place i hear a threat narrative coming from is Greer himself Yep, using that over and over. And it's it's the same as having a guilty pleasure where you like to listen to, for example, Linda Moulton Howe telling a story third hand from a soldier who has spent time on underground bases in Antarctica. Or if you hear the tale of someone who has been a you know, a jump soldier and spent time serving in the military on Mars fighting a secret war, okay fascinating as they might sound it's just an, a third-hand account of someone else's story that probably didn't happen and i feel there's a lot of that within this where they use very 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 selective facts sometimes they'll have a whole document and they'll take half of a sentence or sorry the the second third of a sentence and go because this was said here this is proof of this over here and it's like well not really and i've, I've got a, one really good example of that later on i'll, I'll bring out where Greer quotes they're actually let me do it now because we're not doing a full review through this um Stephen Greer quotes where are we uh, talking about Lockheed Martin and Skunk Works there's a letter to Ben Rich who was one of the head honchos there at one point now Stephen Greer says the letter asked Ben Rich if they have UFOs and are they man-made or extraterrestrial and you can clearly see what he says is that Ben Ritchie's response was, yes, we have both. However, the letter he then shows as evidence, you can clearly see the handwriting states that, yes, I am a believer in both. So he, there, there's no nothing to substantiate the initial question, but there's a follow-up that says, yes, I'm a believer in both. And he uses that as proof that Lockheed Martin Skunk Works had ET craft and man-made 
ultra ultra craft uh, UAPs. So that that was for me prevalent throughout it, where they they take what they want and go here's the facts, um, and it twists to fit his own narrative. And I think that's that's really poor because there's a lack of real credible evidence there. And it means that whenever people look into it in even a light manner, they're going to find some glaring red flags and, you know, stop listening to that sort of information, which is the last thing, I guess, someone like Greer wants when, you know, his livelihood comes from pushing what he pushes. And the editing is a big part of this for me and the message of it, right? It's not a presentation of all the evidence which a documentary should be. It's a presentation of some of the evidence pieced together in a way that doesn't let you make your own conclusion. It tells you what conclusion you have to come to from the start. It's here's the conclusion, but here's why. And it hits you with bang, 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 stuff like I've just read out. And do you know what? That's not. I'm not saying the whole thing's a lie. There are bits of this which are definitely true. And I think there's some nuggets of, of good information that we've more than likely heard before, but it's just put together in such a way of this is why Louise Elizondo, Chris Mellon, Jim Semivan are all disinformation agents. As they then cut to a self-admitted disinformation agent, Rick Doty, that it's on and I've seen people comment on how they face pammed at those points as well, where you have a man who literally lied, who literally turned around and said, Yes, I done this, you know, in this topic where we can get frustrated, and this is going to be me ranting now, okay. At this topic we can get frustrated at the use of overuse of terms like disinformation agent and you know psyops and trcb and stuff like that okay this is one of those few 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 genuine occasions where we have a known admitted disinformation agent being used right after calling out others for being disinformation agents but being told to listen to this person how how can you do that in any way, shape, or form? And I and you can hold me to account, people, on this. If I get Stephen Greer on this podcast, I'll be asking this very question: How can you hold people to account for being something that there's no proof of? Just and I'm not saying maybe Chris Mellon is. I don't know. Maybe Louise Elizondo is. I don't know. There's no proof of that now. Now, but how can you use a known liar, someone who admitted they were a liar in their role, to then quote on the alien abduction phenomenon? And then spin that into, well, so we know ETs are all friendly because this was all a human manifestation. Blows my mind. That is just a gaping, gaping hole in this for me. It's like editors being editors, right? Like, <clears throat> you you always see it. Some Someone in the community will say, oh, I've, I've been invited to be a part of this documentary. And then once they see the documentary, they realize that the words have kind of been chopped up. Um, and you see on stuff like X Factor or Pop Idol, I don't know what the name of the shows are out there now, but they'll they'll cut in audience footage to show shock where there was no shock and things like that. And it, it's a complete manipulation. And, you know, I'd say probably people should go like study a course in documentary. Like there's probably one on YouTube or something for a few hours, just because you can see these techniques and understand how how you're kind of driven to feel a certain way by how images and sounds are put together. It's it's super interesting, and you can guard yourself against things like crappy news sources and things like that then too. Like, Dan, it's not it's no shame to say that if you had your own T-shirt for this podcast, it would say, yes, I agree with that. 
because that's one of your catchphrases, right? I could take that from any number of episodes and just do questions of, Dan, do you think X, Y, and Z is true? And I could just take that and edit it in. And that seems to be a lot of what happened with Danny Sheehan in this. There's a few things that come up, though, with Danny Sheehan's involvement. Danny Sheehan was always known for being involved with Stephen Greer and, and those associated with him. We know his background's like a legal professional. Um, he's been in several documentaries as a talking head, and, and he speaks well on the subject as well. You may not always agree with, with what he says or who he's involved with. But the, the big thing for me that's really confusing, and I still don't fully have an answer for this, is given we found out really recently that he was representing Luis Elizondo as legal counsel and his fight with the IG, why is he turning up in a Stephen Greer documentary? That's, and I, I, I've stayed away from using analogies for this, but how can you be involved with that side and then jump, not even jump, but still be involved with both? That's Greer and Elizondo are two people that I can't see someone being, you know, when you're at school, analogy, and you've got like a friend. Uh, who's a really good mate of yours, and then you've got another friend who's a really good friend of yours, but they are just so unalike that they would never get on, but you're that common ground. I just see Elizondo and Greer as being so different, and given what they're involved in, how can how would either of them allow that? And I mean Greer to, to still have that relationship with Sheehan, or vice versa, Elizondo with Sheehan, and at that be okay? Again, that, that really threw up some some red flags for me. It does feel like a conflict of interest in in some ways, doesn't it? I I know, you know, Sheehan says that he doesn't kind of, you know, mix and let one inform the other type thing. But when I, I'm just not sure lawyers in active cases should be in documentaries disparaging essentially a current client. Um, and again, it might be to do with editing, but. I, I'd hope a lesson has been learned here, I guess. Yeah, and we've not seen comments yet from Luis Elizondo or Danny Sheehan on that, but I've seen a lot of people comment that Danny Sheehan's words have been put together in a way it looks like he's talking about topics that he isn't, or he's addressing something that actually isn't what he was talking about at the time. So the context is way out, apparently, on a lot of what Danny Sheehan has talked about in this but for me, it's a really odd one that he's in this at all. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd say as well that for me, if you look at the work that Danny Sheehan would have to have to do for you know those clients, for Stephen Greer, I can't see a lot of work being there. Whereas for Lou Elizondo, we know there's an active IG investigation into the DOD's handling of UAP. So there's actually work there. Um, so even though, you know, they're very different people, Lou and uh, Lou and Stephen, but they're also very different in how much they're actually doing, you know? Absolutely. Um, moving on, Paola Harris came up again. I interviewed her not long ago. Paola's really nice. I, I think she's part of still that older thought and older school of ufology um, that again, is associated with a certain group and crew, and this would this would no doubt be part of that, which was one of the reasons, I don't think it's unfair to say, that people were really surprised when Jacques Vallée's book 
changed to having Paola's name on it as well. And that association, people just didn't see them together. A little bit like Luis Elizondo and Danny Sheehan. It was a bit of a, ah, oh, that's that's interesting because they, they seem to be from two different takes on this subject. Now, she's on talking about the the incident in New Mexico that happened before Roswell, you know, the second crash, the book Trinity has just came out recently. And again, that split a lot of people as well. As well, She makes the point again, and I really wish I'd pushed this further on the interview, that this, the whole evidence around that case seems to rest on the fact that the, the witnesses now, uh, Remy Baca, who is a, obviously an older adult male, was a nine-year-old boy at the time it happened. So that makes it credible. That that doesn't work, does it? Just because someone had something happening as a child and they're telling a story now that it happened to them as a kid. You know, if I tell you my family won the lottery or, you know, I once went, you know, parachuting with Tom Cruise as a kid, it doesn't make it more credible because I'm telling you now. I, I'm an adult now and that's that's where I was like, I, I don't get why she's pushing that so much. Um. Yeah, that's true. With with the, you know, aerial school and the kids from there, you know, the reason we believe them isn't because they were kids. It's because their story was consistent between a lot of different witnesses, you know. And there's um, video footage of it as well. You you to <laughs> see them as kids telling the story. Yeah, yeah, that that's helpful. Which I guess we can't get from from back then, from the forties, but the it's a case like so many others for me, I don't see what merited it being turned into having having read the book and everything now necessarily this this huge deal, which I don't think it has become, but they've tried to push and it's obviously part of this as well. They talk about the and I think it was just to weave the the nuclear thread into the the conversation in the documentary um, that these this craft crashed potentially in a, a remote area in New Mexico. The kids came out and. Stephen Greer mentions that this, or, or Paola mentions as well, that Stephen Greer backs up, that this happened so that, now let me get this right, that it was a warning to our planet and a message to our planet because one month previous we had let off a nuclear bomb. Why to send that message to our planet did it happen in an area so remote that it was it was lucky that anyone was there at all, let alone a couple of children, Dan, it's the same as me being annoyed at the Welsh people and to voice that frustration, I walk up to you in the street, not knowing you, and punch you on the arm. You, you'd be surprised at the the aggro I get for just being Welsh. <laughs> quite quite right as well. I feel that no, Dan, Dan is Welsh, okay, so he's from Wales. But that, that for me seems the same thing, that why, why would they crash? Because just do it on the White House lawn, or do you know what? Do it in the middle of of you know Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Well, do it. to to that, I would say that you know there are some ideas about the others influencing humanity and humanity's development. To do that in a subtle way, you know, you wouldn't be able to drop on a craft on the White House lawn. You you would do something like drop it in a remote area. No, 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 no. So this was meant to be a message. You're turning into a great apologist. So no, this I'm was just I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah, admittedly, I, I, you know, I, I can't I'm with go, you. I, I can't go <laughs> on this one, yeah, because if you're sending a message to a whole species who has started playing with nuclear weapons that they shouldn't be doing it and they've gone about it the wrong way, 
you don't crash a craft in front of or next to a couple of children out in the middle of the desert. It just makes no sense. Not to say, and I always try and caveat, it didn't happen, okay? But come on. That is what Greer then uses as it was a message. We were playing with nuclear weapons. What I do agree with, though, is some of the the summary after that, that with the nuclear detonations, experimentation that was going on back then and and still anything that happens now, we knocked on a few doors through space-time reality, dimensions, whatever you want to call them. And I think that is part of the reason we had more of the activity that we've seen. Okay, not to say it didn't happen before then. I think it's a massive reason for the uptick in it, though, uh, and what happened, especially with the with the military sightings, and you know that that takes on a whole different conversation down the line. But I, I just found that a really odd one, and it felt like like it was shoehorned in just to get the nuclear aspect in there with no real association. Well, that that's part of building, you know, a, a preconceived narrative, isn't it? <clears throat> that rather than kind of looking at, I don't know, uh, Robert Jacobs, um, you know, that that kind of work, um, and what happened at those nuclear test sites where the launches were interfered with and things like that. That's that's the true event of the or the events and timeline of the nuclear history with the phenomena for me, uh, not not this kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, um, a few a few more points on Mira, and then obviously anything else that's not came up we can discuss with, with yourself. But Greer is really against the military and their observations and their ideas and their narratives. However, almost exclusively, it is nothing but military evidence and documents and witnesses that he uses in these documentaries. But they just happen to be ones that have spoken to him. Yeah, it's, am, am it's I wrong? Odd. No, you're not wrong at all. It, it's it's kind of odd to, at the same time, you know, paint someone with a bad brush and also say, "But this is the bastion of truth." When we know the the truth of it is that it's more subtle, and people in the government are just people, you know. Um, whereas Greer is one of these folk that paints it as like this big conspiracy, and that you know they have meetings behind closed doors that are designed to screw people over. Um, on purpose when reality is a lot more subtle than that yeah and this was another one of those incidents where they used out of context evidence where they talk about in one document it's mentioned that the uf it's something like and i'm paraphrasing the uf the ufo phenomenon could be just cause for or a way to use psychological warfare but it's just suggested and he uses that as stone cold evidence that ufo abductions are hoaxed and again for me like it cuts to him at his i'm not sure where it is if it's his home or not a very stately looking place anyway where he had a a small audience in which you could see the the heads and stuff and danny sheehan and and core there as well and carol rosen and he's, he's holding up these models of craft and he talks about using these models very small scale models that here's a boomerang craft and what you'll see is, this is an example of a human craft, because while it's boomerang-shaped, you'll see propulsion on it. And it's okay, that's just a model though, but he goes then, on the ET craft, that that wouldn't be there. And he says it so matter-of-factly, but that's that's that shows me nothing. That is you holding up a toy to show me two examples of what it would look like with ET propulsion and without ET propulsion. While I'm on that, 
that photograph of the the ET that he keeps is it Bijou? Bijou, yeah. Right. All I have see you turned is... up the contrast and stuff and the brightness because it's a person in a chair, man. Like I, I took a screenshot from his last film, A Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, I think it was. Um, and yeah, you. I don't even have the source image and I was able to turn up the brightness and see there it's someone sat in a chair with a light. I've seen enough people say that in the past because it was in Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, wasn't it, as well? Which yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people mentioned that. However, all I see is grouped from the, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Anyway, just in the, the grainy out of context way it's taken. But again, it's such a poor image to present as, well, and he speaks so matter-of-factly about it. And there's there's nothing, there's no basis, there's no weight to what he talks about. And if there was, we'd have a full custody chain, right? As it is, I think that, because it always pops up in the sections of the film where he talks about C5 events around the world. So I feel like someone has sent him this image and said, this happened and it's come with a story and he's just propagating the story that he hasn't really, you know, checked it. Because, like I said, you you bump up the brightness on it, and you you do a few basic edits that you have in in a phone. You don't even have to do anything special, and you're just like, oh, it's someone in a chair. Cool. There's a lot of stuff of his that, and do you know what? It, it takes away from some of the UFO footage used in his documentaries that some of the clips look good, and in other ones, it's it's a light in the sky. You know, which okay, it could be anything, could be something spectacular, but it's hard to tell with no context. But it's just the way he talks about it is because what we've got to take is because he's saying it, then it's it's got to be true. And I know people will be listening to this who who know the way I will talk about, for example, Lou Elizondo, and I put a lot of faith in what he says, and that's fair. But I think there's a lot more weight and credibility to that. And like I've said before, there's always that very 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 small minute chance that if we find out one day that everything Lou said was wrong and a lie maybe I doubt it but maybe I'll always I'll always leave that small margin of error in this subject but I just don't see what real proof or evidence Stephen Greer presents at all again within this piece it seems to me he felt attacked by other people in the field and potentially being left behind and saw an opportunity to get back in and put this piece out your I would, thoughts on I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um that that's where it came after to me. Um because it it wasn't that long ago that he did another film. And like I said, not, nothing has really changed for for his story anyway. Um, you know, the the UAP subject is kind of made leaps and bounds in the mainstream media. Um but in terms of what Stephen Gray is talking about, he, he just has the same old stuff to say. Um you know, no wonder, no wonder he didn't charge for it. I'll say that. Dan, can I ask you a question? Uh, you, it's it's known on the podcast. You previously worked at Apple in a previous life. Yep. Yes. Um, which iPhone was out around that time you worked there? Uh, well, I worked there for five years. Uh, Twelve came out just after I left. So, I mean, we're looking at like the iPhone six, seven. Okay, cool. So the iPhone seven was out while you worked there. Okay. Now, during that time, if I came into your store and asked you, Dan, good fellow, um, tell me about the iPhone 15. I would respond, pip pip, it's not out yet, old chap. Yeah, okay. What? But okay, tell me about the iPhone 10. 
I would probably be able to kind of tell you stuff that I've heard from rumor sites, but nothing with any proof behind it, you know? Okay. So why would you ask the press briefers at the White House where alien bodies are kept and where alien craft are kept? What do they expect them to answer? Can can you imagine if the press briefers were told this kind of stuff? The the secret really would be out if if that happened, right? Yeah. So there, there's the two points to that. One, that they do know and they're really good at keeping it secret, right? But number two, the, the actual answer is they don't know and why would they know? So what a stupid question to ask at that <laughs> briefing. And the journalist asking it does kind of say, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Well, there's nothing to sugarcoat because you can't sugarcoat a turd because that question is a total waste of time. And you can even see, and Greer uses, again, that piece as, look at how awkward he is answering this and doesn't deny it. Of course he doesn't deny it. What is there to deny? He doesn't know, and 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 I mean this taking away from the UFO subject for a second, he doesn't know if they've got alien craft or alien bodies anyway. And why would he? That's that's not his job to know. So and, what and a the waste people... of a question. And then to use that response as any way, shape or form of a government conspiracy is just mind-blowing for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the people that would know are the people we currently have talking. They call themselves Lou Elizondo and Chris Mallon. They... They they had the jobs where they would have known about this stuff. Yeah, but they're not saying what Stephen Greer likes. So in that case, they are wrong. They are disinformation agents. They are against him and they're pushing a narrative. So for me, that is just pig-headed ignorance and doubling down, tripling down on one side of an argument that he needs to because he's pushing and pushing and pushing the products he is pushing. And what I found out from that documentary is he has a new series on Gaia. I can download his CE5 app in various different stores and you can also go on one of his CE5 experiences to meet aliens. That's what I learned from that documentary. He conveniently leaves out that Washington Examiner, was it, uh, article? Uh that showed that he i won't say 100 percent because there's always the off chance that you know something and you're wrong but 99 percent that he uh organized a flare drop during one of his events and told people that it was extraterrestrials which is just low i think dan and wrapping up i just want to go through um some of the comments there was so many on different platforms there was a load on patreon as well and it was quite a polarizing uh set of views as well and i'll just read out some of the <laughs> greer is very polarizing isn't he he is and do you know what like i say i won't have mick west on the podcast because that would be totally hypocritical of me because i don't believe or agree with anything he says and he's just in this to troll people greer there's a conversation to be had and i feel that's totally different so that's that's just my piece on that uh to go through, everyone had like massive paragraphs and stuff they were writing. People are really passionate about this, which I love. Um, so I'm going to just pick out little bits and pieces of each. Um, Nick was refusing to watch it on principle. Um, listened to a recent review, and it sounds like a cash grab from Greer, and then a paranoid attack on Elizondo. So no thanks, better things to do with my time. Um, there were Jason, he said that he should be able to express his views and assert his world view however wacky it may be the problem with his ce5 business is it preys on people seeking human connection and sense of purpose and um, there's zero evidence to support his conspiracy conspiratorial claims and his ufo footage is an absolute joke i think a proper debunking is in order 
Uh, Vanessa, she watched it. Said Greer seems ego driven and paranoid. Thinks he needs to sit down with Elizondo and Melon, etc. They won't entertain him. Um, it felt like a hit piece, deeply personal. Disappointed, but was she surprised? Nope. Um, Chris Jones uh, said, I have big problems with Greer, but I will watch it. His whole I told you so treatment of threat, I'd imagine, is going to be quite predictable. Let's see. I think you'd be right there. Um, Ewood, who is now in the Patreon, put on, I've watched it and I really had issues with the propaganda editing style. Also, the barrage of claims without supportive evidence and even the fabrication of false evidence is really appalling. It reminds uh, me of um, something. Can you remember when Elizondo was talking about uh, when someone asked if he'd, he'd break his NDA and he was saying that you can't kind of build trust on a, on a broken bond or a lie, you know? Um, and I I feel like, you know, they, they're all damn in reviews, right? There's not, this would be 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I, I, feel, I feel like Gria might have hit that point where there's so much nonsense that people are going to stop listening i think there's a massive audience for the nonsense though and we're, we're seeing that a lot just now there's a lot of nonsense out there um and on that note folks we appreciate you tuning in for our style of nonsense we hope it's added a little <laughs> bit of clarity we've shared our opinions on this we we love the fact that do you know these are some of the most popular shows we do which is amazing for, for dan and myself and we discuss it we still find it incredible that you're, you're tuning in to to listen to this and it's not one of the the interviews and you know we've got the, the some really big names and some lesser known names with some fascinating stories and and opinions to share but you, you like hearing the news broken down in a digestible way we would never expect you to i don't want to speak for dan but definitely myself you don't have to listen to how i say it you don't have to believe what i say I'll just share my opinion and, as always, make up your own mind on this stuff because there's a whole lot of information out there. I'm just trying to make sense of it as much as other people and these podcasts definitely help me do that because it sort of forces me now with a support people show for the podcast to to go out and make sure I am watching all this stuff. So, I do you know what? In spite of everything I've said, I would still recommend people do watch this when you have an hour and 20 minutes that you don't mind not getting back. Put it on two speed. It's it's only 45 minutes then. Oh, you know, Dan watches and listens to stuff on two speed. Honestly, it's it. great. Like you, you can put less time into watching things that you don't necessarily agree with, but you know you're making an informed opinion on it then. He used, to, he used to listen to this podcast on two speed before I invited him on. That's, I keep trying to fast forward, Andy. He <laughs> won't speed up. <laughs> but listen, yeah. So make up, make up your own mind. Listen to everyone, you know. It's very slick, it's well produced, it's an easy watch if you were coming into a subject blind, but I suppose that's the issue that people knew to this. At at, um, 24 hours of release, I think it was on 160,000 views already. So hopefully people do seek out a little bit more research and do some digging uh, and look into it because there's a lot of stuff in there that just isn't true. And I think it's important that people are able to call that out in a really sensible and constructive way as well. But on that note, Dan, it's been nice doing one of these again so quickly after last week. Yeah, it's great. Um, so much is happening now, and it's uh, it's great kind of hearing, like you said, it's, it's hearing other people's opinions about it because it's not about our opinion. It's about working through this together whilst kind of juggling the unknown. Yeah, and still coming up this month, it's very early in the month, and we've, we've put out a lot of shows already, but we want to keep the content coming, and it's it's always quality over quantity. We don't just want to do daily shows for the sake of it. Show my 
the interview is available just now on um, uh, Apple Podcast subscriptions and Patreon. It will be available later on this week. We have uh, James Fox will be in the next week or two as well. James uh, had some stuff going on, nothing serious. He's, he's just moved um, and is, is unpacking. So hopefully that'll be done soon and he's going to be ready to record. I'm still in contact with him. I've reached out to a few more guests. I won't name any names just yet, but hopefully again, some more bigger names coming down the line and there will be some what if shows, more breaking news pods like this and also listener call in number four will be later on in the month as well, which should be should be good. And again, if you want to get involved in the listener call-in show, we'll take the voice memos, the voicemails, or if you want to book a slot with us, email Dan and my, uh, myself at ufouapam at gmail.com. And to the people who have been messaging me saying they don't have the confidence to, to do it, even if you can't put together a voicemail, just ring up myself and Dan. Honestly, we'll sit on the call together. It's not live. If you don't want us to put it out, once you, you say your piece, we won't. It's fine. We'll delete it. But even if you just want to come on and have a chat with us and tell us, look, don't record this, feel free. It's We're more than happy to do that. So um, please do reach out. But it's always a good time and look forward to speaking to you all soon. Thanks, folks. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. Then I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should because it doesn't really scare me. Wasn't it?